0: My first deal was on the MLS. It was just a dilapidated property that, you know, well, it was condemned actually. Okay. It needed a, a lot of work, um, and I used a loan product called the two hundred three K loan, which is uh, allows for you to take the rehab price and factor it into the mortgage, so you're actually amortizing it out over thirty years. And the only reason I knew to do that was because my agent suggested it to me. So I think when you're first starting out really surrounding yourself with people that are knowledgeable, immersing yourself in meetings and the books and making sure that you're communicating with other people that are doing it is going to give you so many more tools in your tool, tool belt to know what you can do.
1: You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you tuning in. If you've never been here before, if this is the first time you're listening to the show, welcome. If you've been here before, if you're a returning listener, loyal listener, thank you. I appreciate it. You rock. You rock. You're the best. You're the reason I do it. So thank you for showing up either way, whether you're new or not. Um, I have a great one for you today, guys. I am talking uh, really good ground level real estate here with someone who's doing fantastic stuff in her market and really brings the goods when it comes to being transparent and just giving you all the tools that she's using. And she's really doing some good stuff. She's a smart lady, former attorney, and uh turned completely, uh, full-time real estate investor, and she's still in the business. I mean, she's doing it all right. We talk a lot of times to investors who have built a team and they're out of the day to day, which is totally cool and inspirational. And that's kind of stuff I love bringing to you, but I like bringing people to you also who are still in the business, still doing things. I mean, uh, this person's building their team, but it's still relatively small and they're got hands on on a lot of this stuff. So I'm excited. And then at the end, we kind of start like, you know, uh, you know, like showing our scars and exchanging horror stories of things that have happened to us, and some of our flips and and some of our rentals and things like that. So it's kind of fun to listen to the end, and and you get some of these stories that of things where they didn't go really well, didn't go as planned, right? So things don't always go as planned. But this is a very fun guest, and and I'm excited to have uh, Stephanie Cabral on the show. She's a buy and hold real estate investor, and like I said, former attorney from Connecticut. Uh, Stephanie has built a portfolio over $2.25 in value and began investing while working at a law firm as the sole member of the probate department and also working as one of the top commercial real estate firms in the world. Uh, Stephanie now owns and operates 15 units uh, plus multiple active flips and is responsible for all aspects of the business, like I talked about, including marketing, acquisitions, construction management, operations, and property management. She specializes in the BRRRR strategy and was able to scale her business using Dial, uh, I'm sorry, Detailed Network Systems, Standard Operating Procedures, Automations, and Virtual assistants. And we'll talk about what BRRR stands for, um, but it's how she's built her empire and how she continues to build it. And it was just a lot of fun talking to Stephanie. She knows a lot. She's a very smart lady, like I said, and everything she shares in this episode is very, very, very actionable and relatable. So I'm excited to bring it to you. So without any further delay, I give, bring you Stephanie Cabral. All right, Stephanie, thank you for being on the show. I I appreciate you doing this.
0: Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm excited.
1: No problem. No problem. It's fun to dive into some real hardcore real estate stuff on this show. We do cover um, it's all real estate, really, but every once in a while, I have someone on who's a little more, a little bit more mindset, and like someone who speaks on motivational stuff, which is awesome. I think that that's there's a place for that for sure. And I've done a few of those interviews in a row now, so I'm kind. Of, for me, this is getting back to actual like talking about hardcore real estate, which I love. So I'm excited to do that. Let's um, so that people have a little more context. Let's dial back a little bit and talk about how you got started. And um and kind of work your way forward to how you even got involved in real estate, assuming that you weren't in real estate from the moment you graduated high school, which, um maybe, but no. let's Let's talk about what your life was like before real estate and how you got involved.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm actually a lawyer by trade. I went to college not knowing what I was going to do. My my uh, mom was a lawyer and pushed really hard for me to. Uh, also following her footsteps. So when I graduated college and, you know, without a clue, I I did exactly that. I jumped into law school um, and I thrived in law school. But after I graduated, I realized pretty quickly that while I loved law school, I didn't love the practice of law. And Um, so I, I knew that I didn't want to stay a lawyer, uh, being a lawyer was kind of a means to an end. Um, I got a ton of experience and I'm certainly glad to have the degree, um, and all of that as a background, but practicing was just, it was really sucking the life out of me. So, <laughs> you know, now that I've left the firm, I say I'm a recovering lawyer, a lawyer in recovery, and, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how long I'm going to need to recover. It was, it was tough. Um, <laughs> That's interesting, but though, no. but you
1: thrived in law school. You liked, you liked being in law school, so you like law. What was it? What, I mean, was it just like the theory that was interesting for you, or well, why did you not like practicing?
0: Um, I didn't like practicing because maybe, maybe like the demand of the clients, uh, you know, the interfacing and I loved my clients, but the fact that so much of the work is adversarial and I do Mm. believe that your personality is a muscle just like, you know, anything else, any other muscle, the part of you that is flexed the most will get stronger. And so I didn't want to become more adversarial. (laughs) Um, and also it was just, you know, being in the office wasn't for me. Like when you're in law school, you're not actually in the office a lot. You're moving around, you're interacting with, with your other fellow students. And I just felt that being in an office environment was not the life that I wanted to live. Gotcha. And so I ended up taking a job, uh, that had incredible flexibility, knowing that I wasn't going to stay there. I didn't want to build a career in law. And so the the reason for this long backstory is because I was paid comparably because I had incredible flexibility. I was not paid the way that an entry level associate would be paid. Okay. But so I wanted to buy a house, but I was really struggling financially at this point. And so what was one of my like greatest frustrations at the time ended up being the greatest gift because I couldn't buy a single family house that I was proud of. So instead I bought a duplex and i used my tenant's income to qualify for a house that was basically twice as much as i would have qualified for it on my own and i i didn't even know that what i was doing was investing honestly i just thought yeah. i was living cheaply and being resourceful <laughs> yeah being resourceful is like certainly one of my superpowers uh <laughs> and you know figuring out how to do things so when i started living in this duplex and my tenant was covering of the mortgage and I was putting in a couple hundred dollars a month, um, that's when I was, you know, really fell in love with the the concept of house hacking, right? And having other people pay your mortgage. But then I, you know, started to do better, was ready to buy a single family home. And then did the math and realized I could actually stay where I am and just put a tenant in that single family home. (laughs) And then all of a sudden the power of real estate as an investment, you know, then my income increased because I was getting money from this rental. So all of a sudden the concept and the power of investing really opened up. um, And that was maybe four or five years ago. And uh, so I started from the first purchase. To the second purchase was about four years. And then um, I didn't really wait after that. I, I started buying about two or three a year after that, once I understood what real estate investing was.
1: Okay. So, how long did you wait to quit your job once the light bulb went off about what real estate was and how you could do it? Like,
0: way too long. Um, (laughs) yeah. So I started my, I bought the duplex in 2012 and I just left the firm in December. So it's 2020 now. So, um, yeah, seven years. Wow. Okay.
1: So you are literally recovering right now still, like (laughs) you've not been gone that long. I
0: mean, no, six months. yeah. Yeah. And so I jumped into, I mean, I've, I've got a handful of rentals. I've got 15 rentals, um, and then I do a few flips a year and then I'm also an agent. So I've been working okay. with Collier's International. Uh, I worked with them for six years doing commercial work. And then, and that was actually while I was an agent, okay. uh, sorry, while I was a lawyer, okay. Okay. I was also working um, as an agent. And then I just switched over also in December when I left my job, I switched to EXP and now I mm-hmm. do like residential properties for buyers and sellers. Gotcha. So I've got multiple streams of income, but they're all real estate related.
1: Awesome. So, <clears throat> let me ask you then. So, you 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 said I'm. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said at the firm you weren't getting paid like other associates because you were had that flexibility and stuff, and that you were kind of house hacking. So I know I've done this podcast long enough and I've talked to enough um, <laughs> newer investors. They hear something like you say, I've got 15 rentals. The first thing they wanna know, two questions. Number one, where'd you get the money to buy 15 rentals? Number two, how did you yeah. find them? Where, where do they come from? Yeah. So those are the two big so, questions. How does one go about financing 15 rentals?
0: So the way that you eat an elephant is one bite at a time, right? Mm -hmm. So start with the first one. How do you get your first property? And mine I did honestly in a very, it was resourceful, but a very typical transaction. The property was on the MLS. Um, And owner occupants that are going to house hack have a competitive advantage over any real estate investor because their financing terms are better. And because they might be willing to take a lesser return because they're getting benefits, unquantifiable benefits living in it, right? And then when when they move out, they you know, really see the rewards of it. Yeah. Um, but my first, my first deal was on the MLS. It was just a dilapidated property that, you know, well, it was condemned actually. Okay. It needed a, a lot of work. Um, and I used a loan product called the 203k loan, which is, uh, allows for you to take the rehab price and factor it into the mortgage. So you're actually amortizing it out over 30 years. And the only reason I knew to do that was because my agent suggested it to me. So I think when you're first starting out really surrounding yourself with people that are knowledgeable, immersing yourself in meetings and the books and making sure that you're communicating with other people that are doing it is going to give you so many more yeah. tools in your tool tool belt to know what you can do. But you know, what I did, I started planning for buying that property maybe a year and a half in advance. And like I said, I was I was making very little money. Um, I had gone to a millionaire mind seminar. And so one of the things I've gone a few times, I take a different thing away from each time I go. But the very first thing I took from the very first time was the tip to pay yourself first, set aside a little bit of money, a designated amount of money, every single paycheck or, or, you know, income that you get. Yep. Um, and so for me, they, I think they recommend like 10%. I think I was that like, three and a half or 4% because that's really, you know, what I could stomach yeah. and it took a year and a half, but I ended up with a little nest egg of money that I w- was able to use. And when you're an owner occupant, you can put three and a half percent or 5% down. So you yep. can really get away with a much lower down payment. Right. So I think there are tools that are available to owner occupants that put them in an advantage. Also, like w- if you buy a property, um, that's a HUD property. They have first look periods where owner occupants get to place bids that are, investors aren't even allowed in the time period. And so if you hit yeah. the reserve, they, you know, HUD accepts your offer. Yep. And they're not looking even at investors. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really valuable tool, too. Yeah.
1: I really hated that as an investor because I, I was on the other side of that going, <laughs> I too. want this
0: house. Why do
1: I not get it? And it, you're right because yeah. they they, Maybe they I prioritize. There. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They yeah. prioritize the homeowner, the buyer, you know, person who's going to live there. So the 203K, let's not gloss too much. I know you know what they are. I know what they are, but let's tell the audience you said they'll use the after repair value and, and you can amortize that out. So how does that help you? What does that do for you? you Using the after repair value.
0: The way that it works is you've got really two parts of the loan. You've got the um, the purchase price and the rehab cost. Yeah. And so it allows you to borrow a lot more because they're looking at the ARV, the after repaired value. Sure. And we will lend. And I, I, you know, it's been a while. I don't remember how much or whether it's a hundred percent or um, a little bit less than that. Maybe it's you know ninety ninety six and a half percent because you have to put three and a half percent down. Yeah. But they lend so much more because it's based on the after repaired value. Um, So you get the purchase price, plus all the rehab costs are included in that one loan. So a lot of times, you know, having enough, having this pocket of money to pay contractors doesn't make sense for a new investor who is gonna be waiting for reimbursement from the hard money lender, right? So if you're advancing (laughs) $20,000, you have to have access to $20,000. That's not the case with the 203K where you put the the down payment and then the contractor gets paid directly from the lender. Yeah. Um so that's a really really important feature for the 203k and also I mean it, it shouldn't go unnoticed but the 203k loan doesn't require you to have experience and yeah. that I think is a huge obstacle for a lot of newer investors yep. where the hard money lenders are going to ask how much money do you have in your bank account? You know, let me run your credit and how many deals have you done? You know, what's your, what does your bio look like? And this not only doesn't care what your bio looks like, but if you're doing the full version, like the big, the big version, and there's a little one and a big one, um, you actually get a consultant who you are their client and they're responsible for making sure that your deal goes well. So they're doing, they're writing the scope of work for you. They're making sure that the work was done properly by the contractor. So, in order for the contractor to get to get paid, they request the consultant to come out and he evaluates for quality of workmanship. My, con- my um, consultant actually helped me with like design decisions. You know, helpful with like lighting, material usage. Yeah. So, it was kind of back and forth between me wanting, you know all marble everywhere and then kind of a balance between that and then what's functional versus you know what's right in the middle so my contractor yeah. my consultant and myself were having a really good dialogue that's awesome um so for a for,
1: yeah. for a 203k what is it what what are the stipulations? i mean do you have to does it have to be your primary residence do you have to homestead that yeah. property okay yeah
0: you have to yep, yep. owner occupant
1: so it works well yeah. for for house hacking obviously right did, did, is this the duplex that you bought is this, yep, okay. that's the
0: duplex. And you can actually do it, so you can do it up to four units. Um, and what's really nice is you could then refinance it and then do it again. A lot of people think that it's an owner-occupied first-time home buyer loan, but it's not. It's just an owner-occupied loan. So you gotcha. could realistically do it in a fourplex and then refinance and then do it in a threeplex and yeah. then a, a duplex and then a single family, Right. And right? So it doesn't have to be a full remodel every single time. They've got the streamlined version. You can do a really light, uh, light remodel, which would be amazing, right? Yeah. So every house needs a couple thousand dollars of work. Yeah. It needs, you know, painting at a minimum. You can refinish right. the floors, change your cabinets, right? You can do all that in the streamlined version. You yeah. can still build equity. So you'd be looking for a property that has good bones, good infrastructure and maybe just needs cosmetic updates. Those are ones where you could still get a discount, yep. but you're not gonna get, you know, you're not gonna get pennies on the dollar for that property. But if you're an owner occupant, you're gonna live in it, use it basically as a slow flip. And you can do it for three and a half percent down multiple times. And the wow. reason why I do it in the cascading waterfall is because you have to prove that you're gonna live there. You've got to justify it. And it's yep. harder to justify, oh, I did a two or three K with a single family and now I'm gonna buy a four family. Yeah like you're not going to move into a four family (laughs) after you've been living in a single family. So, you know, going down in units. Um, is a lot easier to justify.
1: Yeah, that's a great tip. That's a great strategy that people don't talk about very often. I never hear people talking about two or three Ks, really, honestly. Um, and
2: I think that's well, very, very a
0: pain in the butt. <laughs> it is, you know, I should definitely make sure people know like it requires some administrative stamina to get through the the paperwork, yeah. and your contractor has to be really well selected as somebody who. Knows what they're getting into and is comfortable with the paperwork as well. Like yeah. my loan, the underwriting took three months because the scope of work just, you know, kept getting yeah. nitpicked and nitpicked and nitpicked. And, um, you know, so definitely look for lenders that are very familiar with the 203k, contractors that are the same, mm. and then make sure that you've got, um, you know, your wine fridge is <laughs> readily stacked because you are going to need it every night. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, that's a good point. But like you said, to your point. Um, you know, the the alternative is having $20,000 available to you that you can go to a hard money lender. That's maybe a little bit easier to, to, the paperwork isn't so strenuous, but now you need access to money, right? So I would say for 98% of the people out there, they don't have that access to $20,000, right? They're working a nine to five, they're making ends meet, but they don't have tons of money at the end of the day. So having to spend a little bit more aggravation time but not having to have right. this huge access to capital is the majority of people, I think. So, um, great strategy. But you're right, go into it with your eyes wide open, knowing that it's going to be a huge pain in your butt, and you're going to need that, you know, that that wine refrigerator ready to rock for you. <laughs> so now that you've been doing this for a while, I know you've had you know a lot of success. What does your team look like, or who who is working with you to help you build this this business?
0: Um, so I'm certainly still actively involved, uh, but I do really make a, make it a priority to automate and delegate as much as humanly possible. Um, so the people that I work with closely, one, my right hand is, um, a virtual assistant in the Philippines, Sherry. Um, she works with me 20 hours a week. She's really responsible for all the administrative tasks, some social media posts, uh, data scraping, Um, a lot of stuff on the management of the, of the portfolio and interfacing with tenants. And she handles, um, all my maintenance requests and things like that. So she's, yeah, she's been great. She's been really, really great. Um, and then I have a leasing assistant who handles the, you know, when a property comes up for, uh, for lease. She's hand selected by me based on her personality to go out and interface with prospective tenants, meet them, show them around. Um, okay, because she's really the only person that I trust to represent my business the way that I would represent it, and I yeah. have a really high close rate when I meet people, um, you know, meet prospective tenants. But I can't, I can't be out there regularly, yeah. so she is. Handpicked specifically because she's just so likable.
2: Now,
1: how did Um, when you say handpicked? How how did you? What's the what's the criteria? How
0: did you pick her? Man, um, I I've known her for about a year. Uh, We actually do yoga together, and I just got to know her. She's wonderful. I started just kind of putting feelers out to find out what her interest is in real estate, and. Um, you know, what her availability is, what does her life look like? And she has an interest in learning more, doesn't know where to start, you mm. know? And I was like, well, why don't, why don't we do this? Uh, you show my properties, and she can't show them for anyone else. Um, she just shows them for me. It's a side gig for her. Yep. But she's also learning how to screen, how to um, vet tenants, both on the phone with them, with their landlords, previous landlords, with their employers, collecting yep. data. Um, and then also she interfaces with the existing tenants to make sure that, you know, that communication goes well. So she was selected because I knew her and, and also because I had gone and supervised a, um, a property manager who was doing leasing for me at the time. And I was so underwhelmed by the performance (laughs) that I knew exactly what was missing. So, um, you know, the actual skill of, of vetting a tenant or screening them can be learned, but mm-hmm. being super personal and warm and welcoming is not yeah. something that you can learn. So yeah. I really chose her based on the way that she presents to the world and told her to go do it for me.
1: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Sherry in the Philippines. How did you find her? Because I will say this I have hired VAs from all over, including the Philippines, and it's just never worked. I've just struggled, and and I'm wondering because you're having them handle maintenance requests and and deal with mm-hmm. the tenants that way. Um, where did you find her? Was it just trial and error? Went through a bunch of people, or did you have a service help you, or how did you do that?
0: Yes, is the answer. Yes, um, I've done <laughs> yes both <to> everything. actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I have had a bunch of virtual assistants, and mm. um, you know from all over, and usually I find them through upwork. And some ha- have been with me for a long time. My bookkeeper, for example, has been with me for years. Um, and I chose him based on our rapport, his profile. Uh, he has only real estate investor clients from the US and Canada. So he was a natural fit and he's Mm. just done a phenomenal job. Um, but I vetted him with my accountant beforehand. I had him, you know, reconcile my books and do one month and pass the books along to the accountant who approved. So he's been with me for a long Mm. time, but Sherry doing the administrative work, I've gone through a lot of like misfits, um, for a while using Upwork. And I think what was happening for me is at the beginning I was hiring somebody for just a very small piece of the piece of the pie of right. what I do. Yep. And so it wasn't a lot of interaction between us. And then occasionally I would need them. And for me, what I was finding is I wasn't doing a good enough job screening them at the beginning to make sure our expectations were the same. Yeah. So like either, you know, a few, a few failures at the beginning. Um, I had somebody who I really liked and then they the summer ended and they went back to school. <laughs> so <laughs> I spent all summer training oh, them no. and then they left because <laughs> they were going back to school. So I didn't do a good, of, good enough job of asking, you know, how long do you want this to, <laughs> exactly. to be for? Yeah. What is your, where are you in life? That was a good learning one. Um, and then, you know, making sure that they have an internet connection that is available to them at their house rather than going to, um mm, a cafe. That's huge. And how many hours a week do you want to work together? And on whose time frame? Are they set hours? Are they, you know, do you need a twenty four hour response time? Really like things that you wouldn't think to ask in, yeah. you know, going to the local, you know, the local retailer and applying for a job. These are yeah. just not as you know, there's no cultural issues to deal with. Yep. Sherry has been my best success so far because I had gone through enough of like individual tasks and I had trained so many, um, so many different VAs on so many different tasks that I really had, um, a great standard operating procedure for basically my entire business that has video instructions, links, templates, um, so it's plug and play, but certainly like all the resources that I use, I'm very tech heavy in my business, okay. knowing what to update when um, is something that needs to be learned, but like the instructions are all there. So then I knew that I was ready for something more serious. And I went to a company called Core Assist and mm. they, um, they are a virtual staffing company. So they specifically seek out remote team members for your business. They provide you with three based on the conversation that you have about what your business model looks like, what you need, um, the skill sets that you're looking for. And I really love their, um, director of operations had a great, great strategy for me. And I'll share it with you is I have a lot of like random tasks and because it's just me in the business, I basically needed, needed help with everything. Right. With everything. And so they were like kind of the same thing with my leasing assistant. They're like certain tasks can be learned. And certain elements cannot. And so a lot of what I want to do is put more social media and be more um, present digitally. Mm-hmm. And so we sought out somebody that had a little bit of real estate experience before. She had worked with an investment company in um in California. So she knew the language and she knew the general process. Mm-hmm. But she was she's an artist. And so she's got really great skills and loves it when I give her a task that, Um, exhausts me like make this look good you know I don't know how to do that but she's like oh yes (laughs) you know I'll see you tomorrow I'm I can't wait to get on it so I really appreciated that um you know just that suggestion of find somebody with a skill set like a natural skill set that you're looking for and then you train the rest especially because I had all of the you know the foundation for bringing somebody in and so besides that like choosing the right person I interviewed three I narrowed it down to two and then I had follow-up questions and you know made the choice based on personality and and of course skill set um but then you know we've been together now I think seven months and the first two or three I was doing all the work and that's not just that's not bad on her end it's that that's how much training goes into it. Right. And it's not a set it and forget it thing. It takes a lot of time to nurture and to grow. And you know, it's not like someone's coming into your business and you get, and they're shadowing you for a week. Right. Right. That's just not realistic. So I would set aside and I still set aside about a half an hour every day or every other day to check in with her, Um, to review whatever she's working on to give her new tasks Um, we have a a weekly call at the beginning of the week to look at what's coming up and um, you know our objectives for the week but it is still very time intensive and for a long time it's an expense you're not getting anything out of it it's just an expense and I had I had a lot of question about that at the beginning maybe I need to pull out because I'm not sure you know am I getting anything out of this and then we hit a turning point where all of a sudden maintenance requests were coming in and being handled with grace. And I was Mm. like, so what happened? She's like, Oh, well this person called and I updated this and then we got the pictures that it was all done. And here's the invoice. Oh my goodness. We have, we are now in a good spot. So yeah. Um, And I think that you really have to give them the time you've got to set themselves. You've got to set them up for success by making sure that you have the resources that they can review and look at. But then you need, the, you need to give them the time to get comfortable yeah. and also a safe place to ask questions because their culture is not, they're not used to pushing back to right. asking questions. They're used to just doing it. And if they don't know how to do it, a lot of times they will just not do it. That's, uh, so that's what I was told. I haven't had yeah. that experience with Sherry at all, but it's been communicated to her. To her. I would much rather you ask questions and do it right. Yep. then don't ask questions and do it wrong
1: yeah one thing I learned w- specifically with working with um, VAs from the Philippines was if you ask them if they understand they will invariably say yes because at least that's my (laughs) my experience because it's in their culture to not go, no, I don't understand. So they tend to like nod and (laughs) yeah, if you ask a leading question and you're like, do you understand? You know, like they'll nod and you think they got it. Um, You mentioned, so this is something I found interesting and there's so much that I want to talk to you about that you're doing, but, and I don't want to, I don't want to stay too long on one topic, but, as far as simple tasks, like I was always under the impression, well, first of all, I've always hired VAs, given them the task, and tried to set it and forget it. And I've always failed, and that's probably why. But I've always thought when it came to specific areas of the world, in the and the VAs in the Philippines being one where you're better off giving them smaller, specific, singularly focused things than giving them a broad... Range of things that you want them to do because it comes, it becomes confusing or not confusing. That's not fair. It's, you're not being specific enough, so they're not sure what you want them to do. But it sounds like you're having to do a couple. I mean, social media and talking to the tenants and dealing with that stuff. So you've got you've got her doing some various things.
0: Yeah, but we didn't start there. Um, so we started. E- we started with just the simple task. The only thing oh, that she had to do okay. at the beginning was she had to find what the water bill was for the single family homes and add them to the monthly invoice. That was that was the task that she started with. Okay, And then from there, she started getting comfortable with one software that I use. And then we started saying, okay, here's how it relates to this software when we have an update. So now she's interfacing. So we did it really in stages. And that was something that I planned out ahead of time. And, you know, what do I want to expose her to first? Because you're right. If you give them too much, they can't. It's it's unfair to think that they can keep it all straight. Right. Just like I would have a hard time if you, you know, it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's just too much information at once. Totally. Give it in small chunks. And the, I always recommend um, to start with the thing that's the most repetitive mm-hmm. and that's really causing the most brain damage. So yeah. what are you doing all the time in your business? Usually those things aren't, they're, they're mindless. Yeah. So write the instructions down and just do that one piece. When you're sure that they've got that, then expand right um the tasks that you're giving them yep
1: that makes sense and and obviously you're it sounds like you're self-managing your property. so i mean by self-managing yeah. you have a, your team is doing it so why yeah. self-manage versus just pay 10% or 8% or whatever give it to a property management company let them do everything
0: well financially it makes a lot more sense for me to self-manage at this point um okay. i have very little turnover um so that's great and you know just like And I think the reason why I have such little turnover is because of the interaction that I have with my tenants. So, you know, Sherry has a lot of one-on-one when they're first moving in. But after that, like all these check-ins and these friendly correspondences that I have, these back and forth, these are just emails that I set up as email sequence that I set up and they're getting them. They don't know that they're automated because they come from our, you know, our Sunrise email address. And I get responses back like, oh, so good to hear from you. And I'll send, you know, the, uh, before they move in, the day they move in, the day after they move in, uh, I think it's two weeks later, six months later, and then right before they move out, like 60 days before they move out, they'll yeah. get another set of emails about, you know, Hey, what are you doing going forward? So that's all great. of that management is automated. I'm not sure that any property manager makes as many touches as I do. And that's no. not any of my time and i'm paying sherry to manage you know and sherry's a lot cheaper than 10 percent of every property I, that i own yeah, so
1: it's a great point and uh, she's
0: doing my my maintenance request for me yeah so like i'm not sure what i i'm not i'm not doing that much to farm off <laughs>
1: that's that's a good point really because i have a property i i have property management company handling all my rentals and i have about 20 rentals so it's similar prof- portfolio um I, I, I can't say for sure because I'm not in their system but I would be willing to bet a lot of money They're not sending emails periodically to check in and touch points like that um, We tend to hear from the tenants when they don't pay or when they want to move out right there's like that's just how it operates right um, yeah. but I, I think that's great. So I, I Okay, so I'm going to ask you more of a, of a probing question. I'm going to get real reportery on you here because I have okay. had property management companies. The biggest problem that I have with property management companies, and you're self-managing, I get it, but you're relying on a VA to an extent to handle the repairs. Okay, I've had property management companies in the past and it seems like, and again, I, the VA isn't a real estate investor who's like done a ton of flips, right? So you can't expect her to have that experience. So how do you not how do you avoid I'm asking, I have a hard time framing this question how do you avoid overpaying for repairs because you' you're having someone do it who doesn't have a depth of knowledge I'm assuming in dealing with contractors and knowing what it costs in America to actually like snake a drain or repair a furnace like the, and the management companies I had US based still overpay because they just call yeah. someone and whatever they quote that's what they pass it along to me. It doesn't matter to them, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you get the prices so, you want?
0: Yeah, so all of the um, the rentals that I've bought, they've all been remodeled. Like I said, I do flips. Okay. So I have a pool of uh, contractors that are in my Rolodex. And these are the people, and there's one contractor in particular who's my go-to. He's general handyman, general contractor, carpenter. Yeah. Um, so he is always the first call. And okay. I have worked with him for years. I trust him. Um, I can give him pushback when I think he, when I think he's being ridiculous, and he does the same for me. This is a two-way street, okay. and um, he's always our go-to, and then we have a go-to in every area, so plumbing and HVAC, electrical. Okay, okay. Um, And then, I, I will say we just encountered a new one, so this is an appliance repair, um, and she called three different appliance repair people and said I don't feel comfortable that we've got the best price yet. I'm calling Whoa. more. Oh, so, I love her.
1: I love Sherry. That's awesome.
0: That makes <laughs> that me makes love Sherry. Last name to myself.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you better cuz I'm going to call her after this interview. No, that's great. That I mean honestly that that right there what you just said would would speak volumes to me about this person because that's the thing that's rare is getting someone in your company yeah, listen, it's, it would be a lot easier for her just to pick someone who quoted it and go, "Here it is, right? It's your stable right. of people. Here you go." Yeah, I got what you but to have me. that mm-hmm. consciousness about them to say, ah, "I feel like we can do better. I'm going to keep working on this." Like, whoa, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to look for Sherry and upwork now. I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's really um, great. And I think that she came naturally just curious and driven to always like find the best thing. Same thing. Like uh, I have some furnished rentals. And so when the cleaner comes in, she's responsible for telling me like what inventory of products that we need to replenish. And so Sherry goes to Amazon and searches to make sure that we've got like the lowest cost per item. And I mean, she's just a naturally. Yeah. I, I like tight, um, type person, I yeah, guess. that's and that's, that's just great. a good fit. I don't know how that's a really scary, good fit. But... No,
1: that's a perfect fit. Sherry's awesome. Um, so yeah. you mentioned short-term rentals, and I know you're into that too. It's I got to tell you, this is I've interviewed a bunch of people who do short-term rentals, and some people who do them exclusively, and it's the thing that I keep coming back to that I really, really, really want to do and investigate. I just feel like I've never prioritized it, but I love the concept. How how did you get into the short term rental side of it? Why did you get into it? And then just as a side note, I'm wondering how COVID has it affected that for you.
0: So my short term rentals, they're actually midterm rentals to be fair. They're um okay. to traveling nurses. So hmm. COVID has it's affected well, one, because we're very careful about the procedures of these nurses that come in. So I actually live in a um the nurses are upstairs and I'm downstairs. So okay. I'm very careful about, you know, making sure that there's sanitizing wipes and things like that. But the, um, the market of nurses is very different hmm. where our demand has increased versus yeah. you know short term vacation rentals. It's really come to a halt. So I like the, the traveling nurses cause they're three month increments. And okay. so you're not doing the constant turnover yeah. that to me would be exhausting and, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't think that I would be up for that. But okay. three-month turnover is great. Like last weekend, we had somebody move out. The next day, somebody moved in. So I'm not seeing a lot of vacancy. Um, you know, the price per room is significantly higher. So I think it's great, and especially if you don't have the vacancy. Yeah. Um, one thing that's tougher is that you have very little notice. So like I'm used mm. to 60 days notice or 45 days notice yeah. if a tenant's going to move out. Yeah. With the traveling nurses, you have two weeks. Basically, really? It's like when start when people start to recognize I'm coming to the area. and. Rest. But <laughs> um, so that I haven't gotten used to that yet. And it gives me a little <laughs> of anxiety every time I know somebody's leaving and it's just still too soon to know who's next. Yeah. But, Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great business model. I really like it. It, We meet a ton of new people. I've got um, two rooms in this house and then another, uh, an apartment that I do the same thing. And so that one is a little different. It's two bedrooms, but
1: that's cool. That's a unique twist on it.
0: Great occupancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I, I, when you said short term, I just assumed Airbnb, like I assume that's what you're talking about. So that's cool. That's a cool little, little niche way to go. Plus I would think with, with nurses, I mean, there's, I would think that the wear and tear and the abuse of the place is probably non-existent because they're working all the time.
0: Yeah. And they're, they're like contributing members of society. Yeah. They're, you know, and also it's like one person per room. It's not partiers that you're going to get in an Airbnb yeah. or a vacation rental at the beach or something like that. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's so quiet, so yeah. quiet. Yeah. Um, but you know, asked me how I got into it actually. So I bought this beautiful Victorian property in a historic downtown and the renovation went way over budget and so I wasn't going to be able to sell it the way I thought I was going to. So I decided to hold it and um, of course the numbers didn't make sense because it was a higher-level property if I was just doing you know regular regular um, unfurnished annual rental right and it just made a ton of sense the layout worked to have totally separate units and I was able to put them in and now the tenant rent covers the mortgage and everyone lives perfectly happy and we don't really see them. It's, it's nice. really like they're great, but and you're uh, that for was free. just one of the, I'm um, living for free um, in a beautiful house in a beautiful town and again, just resourceful and figuring out a way to make it work.
1: I love it. That's so cool. And I know you yeah. use, uh, in my notes here, I'm looking at you use private money and hard money to do your deals. Are you mm-hmm. just, I should ask, so you might have said something earlier that I might not have heard you. Do you just do rentals, short, long term rentals, or are you also flipping actively?
0: I am also flipping. Okay, okay. Um I, I do maybe two flips here, year. It's definitely not my primary business. I okay. prefer rentals. Um, but all of them have the same initial structure really, because they're even my rentals, they're they're burrs, right? The mm-hmm. buy, renovate Rent, refinance, repeat model. Yep, yep. Um, so, equity recapture. So, in all of those, I'm doing some form of a bridge loan. And usually that's a combination of hard money and private money. Okay. Um, sometimes it's all private, but that's very rare. Um,
1: how do you how yeah. do you raise private money? I know that sometimes that's a little bit of a holy grail for people and a kind of a, a mystery how you raise money. How how did you go about it? Was it just people you knew had tons of money, or did you have to go out and get real creative about that?
0: Uh, no, I've never. I've been really really lucky, honestly. I guess because I talk about real estate a lot, and um, so I, my first lender was my brother. To be fair, well, hard money lender, and then my brother was my first private lender. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I had to pitch myself to the hard money lender. Uh, he turned me down the first time and then I went and did the 203K. Then when I came back, he's like, okay, we're ready to go. <laughs> um, so I, you know, the hard money lender, I had to actually go through the interview process. I was okay. Yeah. But the private money has been through people, started with my brother and then I had a track record behind me of deals that have have been successful. And he's actually had money with me for about five years now um, and just recycled through different projects. Okay and a combination of his own personal funds and then his retirement accounts. And then Mm. when I would talk to people and I would, I've never asked anyone for money, actually. Um, it's always been, Hey, I see what you're doing. You know, I know that you're, that you're experienced here. Let me know when you need some funds. And, and it's usually kind of just come up at the right time. Hey, well, I do have a project if you're interested. Yeah, great. So I, I don't have any great, advice, except for just put yourself out there and make sure people know what you're doing and that you're involved.
1: That is to me, that is the number one advice I've been raising private mm-hmm. money since 2008. And that is the number one advice is talk about what you're doing, put yourself out there. That's how I raised all the money I have. I've not asked for money either. And I, I heard of somebody told me a long time ago, a really something that stuck with me. They said, if you ask for money, you're going to get advice. And if you ask for advice, you're going to get money. So, um, a lot of times I, I just tell people, listen, <clears throat> if you know someone who has maybe the money and you, you wonder if they would be interested, I, I go to them and ask for advice. Say, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start raising money. This is how I plan on pitching it. I value you. I know that you, you know, you have a lot of experience. What do you think of this? What, how should I change my approach? Or what am I doing wrong? And what can you help me with? And a lot of times they'll go, well, I. I'd be interested like I'm, what are you doing tell yeah. me more about it so um but i love that and and it's funny you know sometimes people who are good at things don't even realize how uh, you know th- what they're doing how invaluable it is to everybody else like you saying i didn't really do anything i just told everybody what i was up to like that's what i tell people if you say give me one piece of advice or raising money i just say tell everyone you know like document what you're doing on the on Facebook or whatever like you don't have to like yeah. ask for my just document and people will see it and and want to get involved yeah. so I think that's awesome it's super awesome that's the best advice in the world yeah, yeah and, and you called it getting lucky it's definitely not getting lucky I, I think you you did exactly what you needed to do just intuitively like that's exactly what you should do in my opinion um so let's talk a little bit about you you touched on that you're highly you're, you're very tech driven um how do you run your business like at a high level how does this whole machine operate and what kind of tools do you use that help you in Mm
0: -hmm. your day yeah so my central hub is podio um are you familiar with very
1: promoting very familiar i used it for many years
0: yeah i love podio um so podio is really my, my central hub and it's kind of the the thing that we look at all the time to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then we have a, an online rent collection software, payyourrent.com. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
0: and we really heavily rely on um, like Google Drive. So my standard operating procedures are all built in Google Drive. Mm-hmm. And then we also store all of our templates in Google Drive, all the, to the video resources, like I'll, I'll, I'll do a screen capture of me performing a task yeah. and I'll Speak it out loud. So to capture that, I'll use Soapbox. It's a free Google Chrome extension. What's it called? It stores all Soapbox.
1: The video-
0: Soapbox. Okay. S O A P B O X. Um, yeah, it's totally free, and it just captures what you're doing, and and then it stores it for you. It just gives you a link. So in in my wow. you know S O P, I just have a link to whatever the video is, and then. I, for templates, I use the Microsoft Word Developer tab so that it can re- you can enter fields and not change the formatting and just tab through. Um, I, what else do I use?
1: Microsoft Developer tab. You said
0: it's Microsoft Office, but the Developer tab oh, allows I you to enter like the fields or drop down menus gotcha. that you can. Like washing machine is included or is not included. Right. And so you don't have to go in and, or like put the tenant's name and it carries forward through the entire document. Gotcha. That's really you.
1: Yeah, that's cool. So
0: speaking of DocuSign and like electronic signatures are huge. Yep. What else? I'm sure Sherry knows all of them <laughs> <laughs> off the top of her head. But, what do you yeah, use? You're a realtor, things, you said,
1: right? So, what do you use yeah. for valuations? You, you're on the MLS and stuff. Yeah. Are she helping you with that kind of stuff too, Sherry, like valuing properties? Not and things? Not
0: really. I mean, so she helps me with transaction management, so mm-hmm. uploading documents and making sure that that's all um, current, but okay. valuation. I'm not there with her yet. Um, I don't know that I will get there with her either. Uh, I think that it's so hyper specific and local that I would probably be, you know, if that's something that I need to do regularly and don't want to be the one doing it myself, uh, I think that's like one of the last things that I would hand off as a valuation. But, um, you know, I'd probably be using a local realtor to do that.
1: Okay. So, how are you finding deals? What what is the deal for, flow and you don't have to give us any special sauce, please give it to us. But you, how do you find <laughs> your deals? What does the process look like for you?
0: No one thing. I mean, it was the MLS when I first got started. Um, then it was HUD homes, and yeah. now it's, it was auctions a little while ago. The past few have been um, through a wholesaling agent and then or wholesaler, and then actually the the very last one I bought was back on the MLS. And I just hmm. happened to see it, get into it the very first day it was on, okay. and offered a 10 day close. And so, you know, my, my offer wasn't the strongest, but it was the timeliest with no nice. contingencies. So, right,
1: right, um, right. Yes,
0: yeah, so that was an on market deal.
1: So, you're not, is it fair to say you're not spending tons and tons of money on marketing?
0: I have not spent tons and tons of money on marketing. Okay. I've tried direct mail. Um, I don't get. You know, I don't get leads from it. Whether that's my own message or whether it's the the list that I'm choosing, okay. um, I have a good open rate. I get a bunch of people that let me know that they don't want to be on my list anymore, but uh, <laughs> not really a great. <laughs> so you know it's being rate. delivered.
2: <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, and it's handwritten, so I yeah. know that people are opening it, but it's not it's not delivering the message. But I did just start um, Facebook ads with digital follow-ups and automated follow-ups so this is something that i just launched last week um so i'm starting to spend a lot more and that (laughs) funnel looks a lot like you know facebook ads and then you know making sure that we get on a call and then closing the deal that way
1: okay cool so the the person who shows houses for you is local obviously everybody else is sherry the only other person on your team is that you three or is there other other people
0: um, nope. So I've got a letter addresser. Okay. So I've got one other person who's local, who's actually um, receiving the letters from the printer and mm-hmm. she's just hand addressing all the envelopes. Wow. When you said handwritten,
1: looking- you, you meant it handwritten by someone, not handwriting font or handwriting machine, like a handwriting person.
0: Yeah, but it's just the envelopes. So the actual letter is printed. My signature is printed. But the envelopes are actually handwritten by someone local. And then she puts them in the mail.
2: Um,
0: And then I have a Podio developer who is like my go-to person when I want to add a feature or can't figure out why this isn't working. Because tech is amazing until it (laughs) breaks or there's an update. And I'm tech heavy, but not tech savvy. So I definitely need, um, you know
1: is this Fundy person this podio developer upwork is that where you found that person too
0: yeah okay yeah he's okay. on
1: upwork okay so
0: i love upwork because of the transparency and billing and yeah um you know real easy to communicate i think that's yeah. great but
1: totally um, okay so the developer uh the handwrite person uh handwriter sherry and yeah. your person who shows houses that is that is that your team
0: and my bookkeeper
1: and your bookkeeper right okay who also yeah. you found on upwork Yeah. Okay. Wow. This is quite an endorsement for Upwork. I use them all the time, too, actually. I I think they're great as well. I I haven't been great. I haven't had great success with like a VA who works ongoing, but I I definitely hire people for tasks all the time on Upwork and Fiverr for that matter. I use Fiverr for certain small things, too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So having those standard operating procedures, like you said, the sort of plug and play procedures that if Sherry were not to work out, you. You at least have this framework, and any, anyway, anybody who doesn't work out, right? You have this framework, and I talk to people a lot about scaling their business. That's one of the things that I'm really passionate about, and then not because everyone wants to be huge, but even if you're gonna stay smallish, um, scaling to that point, but doing it so you don't, you're not spending all of your time running around doing everything. Like that's the worst. Yeah. We all we all do this, not to have a job or to work eighty hours a week. Like we do it to have a little bit of time freedom too. So I think. Being tech heavy is good, and the fact that you're not tech savvy is is probably not bad because if you were, you'd be tempted to be in there fiddling with the gears, right? Like trying to trying to yeah. do all these things. And I say the same thing as the house flippers you're better off as a house flipper not knowing how to repair or build anything because it'll take away the temptation to go do all the work, which means you're not building your business, you're not raising money, you're not finding deals, you're in there swinging hammers, that's no good. So I always tell people, mm-hmm. like I know what things cost and I know how long they should take. Those are the two things you need to know as a house flipper. Knowing how to do it is not necessarily critical, as long as you know what it should cost, how long it should take, and you have a general understanding of the process. So yeah, that's, that's huge. Um, any any advice for people right now? I mean, we're going through this pandemic. I don't know how it's affecting your business. Doesn't sound like it's affecting it too negatively. Um, no,
0: I I'm at 100% rent collection yeah, for April, May, and June that's so far. Awesome. So yeah, I'm pretty pretty good. I've, Except been for pretty I've got lucky. one squatter living in a house I'm supposed to flip, and I can't get him out because uh, I can't evict him. So I guess maybe not 100 100% in all the uh, rentals. Intended
1: rentals are 100%. Yeah, the exactly. unintended rental is. <laughs> not not going so well. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It is a weird thing. I, I understand. We're in the same situation. We can't evict right now either. Um, and I've done... I've had the same thing. I, I actually did a flip where I finished the flip. And the day... The morning I went to go look at the final product, that person had come in, change the locks and start squatting. And I had to evict them. And it took like, at the time it took like 60 days. And then the rent, how do you think the renovation looked after 60 days of them squatting in my house? So I had yeah, to, it was, a, it right. I had to redo a lot. I had to repaint and repair oh damages. It was awful. Like, cause I got there and I'm like, Hey, the key doesn't work that you gave me. And he goes, no, I was just there last night. It works. And I said, just out of curiosity, this doesn't look like the doorknob you normally put on. Normally, we put brushed nickel. This was like gold or something. He's like, I didn't put a gold doorknob on your door. I'm like, well, wait a minute. This isn't the doorknob you put on? He goes, dude, somebody is squatting in that house. Sure enough, I looked in, and they weren't in there, but I could tell somebody had moved in. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So
0: so who was it? Was it a sub? Somebody uh, had to no, have access?
1: No, no, no. It, it was somebody who just lived... In, in or around or kind of was from that area and I think they were casing the they house knew. they knew we were flipping yeah. it but my my guy was there every single day and I think they saw when he was done and just said this is a great place for us to live for a while funny you're, you were ex, ex-lawyer I, I talked to a lawyer and I'm in Michigan it was a Detroit lawyer and I said what do I do here and he goes well by, I mean by law you have to evict them I'm like I didn't I didn't tenant them like they're not a tenant why do I do evict them I was new or newer and he's like that's just it's the okay. law he said I mean, he goes, I know people who will go over there and persuade him to leave. We can go that route too. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I don't even know what that means, but I think I want to steer clear of that. Let's just go ahead and do this legally. But yeah, so we had to evict him. It was ridiculous. And they just, they they knew when they had to be out. Like they didn't show up obviously to the court hearing and they knew it and they they just left and it just, and I was talking uh, to folks who but
0: they made you yeah i had they, to redo stuff yeah, yeah totally exactly.
1: delayed it and it was summertime when they moved in so i missed the whole summer so it's really sucked but uh, it's funny it turns out there are people i'm probably in all cities who just go from house to house and they get evicted they wait 60 days and then on the 59th day they move out into another house and then they get another 60 days or however long in that house and they just keep moving house to house that's a vacant
0: and my situation isn't, isn't like that. I don't have somebody who is intentionally usury. I think I've got somebody with mental health problems. Mm. He did intend to leave. We, re, we had a cash for keys arrangement and then COVID hit and he was going to go to a shelter or some sort of public facility and they stopped accepting people because uh, everything went into quarantine and he yeah. had no place to go. And mm. no friends will accept him because he has mental health, health issues and keeps yeah. the house in total disorder. But I mean, I explored, I've, I've sent cops to the house to see if he's okay because yeah. he, you know, was responsive and then wasn't, um, turns out he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but then, uh, you know, I've, I explored, yeah, <laughs> um, I explored with my law- lawyer, I'm like, can I condemn the house? I've never considered condemning my own house, but if it's condemned, he has to go somewhere else, yeah, right? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but then you have to repair it for him and he can come back. So, Ugh. um, yeah, I've explored everything and basically I'm just waiting him out. Waiting Certain him out.
1: parts of the legal system just don't seem quite right to me. It's crazy. I, right. I, 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 recently, I had a tenant that wouldn't resp- She stopped paying, wouldn't respond to me. And when we finally, then she wouldn't answer calls or anything, mail, nothing, finally got a hold of a family member they said we just moved her into the hospital she's dying and I'm like what? Well, I so I, I'm like I don't know what to do here. like I don't want to what am I going to do yeah. like Vic someone who's dying like so I said okay just keep in touch right now and then like I don't know then they stopped responding and finally we had to get into the house like we just had to go in get the police and everything going turned out she just died at some point and the family didn't bother telling me and I was trying to be respectful and conscious of, of somebody's mother passing away. And she was like in the middle of di- And I was just like, I don't know what to do here. It's horrible. Like I, I don't know what to yeah. do. And we finally got the house and wow. I mean, this was a two bedroom, 600 square foot, no basement, no garage. And it cost more than most bigger houses. It was like, I, it was like a family of bears had lived there for 10 years. It was absolutely disaster. So anyways, it's just you know, weird. She had
0: lived you might've actually been better off. Cause I, I um, acquired a property that had a hoarder in it. And, you know, I looked through and I was like, Oh my God, how am I, how am I ever gonna, you know, work yeah. through all this? I was like, oh, I'll give you 500 bucks. If you'll be out by the 31st. And she's like, there's no way. And I was like, okay, the other option is we evict, but I'd much rather give you the money. The 31st, she sends me an email and a picture. She's out and everything, the place was i was shocked yeah shocked but pleasantly surprised yeah i've that was a a good a good scenario
1: bought a few hoarder houses and it's always funny because our their thing is like it's going to take me you know months to go through all my stuff and we're like listen take what you want and we will just give you a few thousand dollars for everything else like just yep. and it's always like nope it's too everything here's too valuable it's just funny when, you, <laughs> when you're dealing with that anyways yeah. this is weird now it's turned into like therapy session for us but yeah <laughs> I, I mean it, the whole squatting thing has just brought up bad memories of that house where they squatted in my finished renovation but um yeah. Wow. We got way off track here, horror but
2: stories.
1: No, we'll horror stories, right? But that's good. I mean, I think sometimes it's helpful people to hear these stories because it's like, it doesn't always go perfectly, but honestly, this the strategy that you're using that you're focusing on mostly is the rental, the BR, you know, the birth strategy, basically. Yeah. Um, it's super doable and when you start the way you started with the 203k you eliminate the excuse of well I don't have any money right like you don't need much money a couple percent or whatever of the house that you're buying and depending on what market you're in in Michigan I mean we're buying houses for 30 to $50,000 like you know 2-3% of that is (laughs) is nothing so where are you located again I forget where you're
2: working on Connecticut
0: Central Connecticut yeah so I mean we have a a higher barrier to entry certainly but still, I mean, it's, it's not like New York, New Jersey, right. you know, the yeah, yeah. first market.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think that strategy, right, that the rental portfolio building that long term and i like that you're, you're doing flips here and there i assume just for like an influx of cash and and uh exactly. you always can take those down if you want as well you can find a property and and um and i like that you're not spending tons of money on marketing because i know so many people that go out there and they're like well i don't know where to get leads so i'm just gonna throw out a ton of direct mail and ppc and like next thing you know they got tens of thousands of dollars going out in marketing and they have to get two or three or four deals or they're in real trouble right so
0: yeah at a loss
1: yeah at a loss and building it the way you're building it super smart and i know that you're just continuing to evolve and grow and 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 get better so um, I, I just was happy to have you on I know we're kind of running longer than I meant to but it was just great conversation you're fun to talk to obviously <laughs> and you know a lot of a lot of stuff so I think it's been real helpful for people to see not only how you start your business how you're running it how you're automating it and how you're using VAs because let's face it VAs are less expensive than hiring local people so that's the cr- that's the the nut that I think a lot of people try to crack and they get concerned or they do it once poorly and they just go ah VAs don't work um, I've even said that before like I've tried it a few times it didn't work and I'm like eh but honestly if you can do it right start small like you said l- let them watch what you're doing like you're going to do a lot of the work it's an investment for a while but if you can get them proficient at one thing at a time and kind of keep adding on pretty soon you have this person who you would have paid a lot more in the United States doing a great job for you and you're paying a lot less so smart good yeah. stuff. Awesome. Thanks. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go. I could talk to you all day, honestly. I said that before we started, before we went live here that I could talk about real estate with people like you literally for hours, but I won't do that to you. So thank you for doing this, Stephanie. I really appreciate you taking the time and being so transparent with everything um, and just letting us know how you run your business because I think that's the real problem. I mean, this this show is all about getting started and the, all the reasons not to get started. I think we've attacked most of them here today, right? Like. Money, how do you find leads? like I don't know how to get people to do things that I need done that I can't do like all of these things you've you've talked about and and mm-hmm. there's really very little excuses after listening to this podcast. so uh, thank you for that.
0: Uh, thank you so much. And like I said actually before we before we started uh, live here, I think the concept of just start is so important, right? You don't have to be super knowledgeable. You have to be action oriented. So just get in one step at a time. Again, one, one bite of the elephant at a time.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you again. I appreciate you doing this. Um, have a fantastic rest of your day. Have a great summer thank you. and uh, continued success to you. You deserve it. You seem like a really, really great person.
0: Thank you so much. This is a blast, Mike. Talk to you soon.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. All right guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Stephanie's awesome, very smart and like I was saying in the intro, just really actionable. Like things she's doing seem doable, right? Not easy, and it's not diminishing what she said. She's building a fantastically efficient, smart business, cost-effective. Like all the things that you think about when you want to start this business, like how do I do it? And how is it doable? And when you hear how she's putting this together, starting with the 203K loan and going right into the BRRR method, using VAs to help round out her team, like, this, you can get your arms around that concept, right? As a, as a newer or smaller investor, you can get your arms around that and go, Yeah, I can do that. That makes sense to me. So she is doing some cool stuff, and I loved having her on. So I hope you enjoyed that. Also, I want to mention to you if you want to hang out with me this year before the end of the year, you have an opportunity to do that. I'm going to be in Orlando on October 15th through the 17th at Flip Hacking Live. Uh, it's the only public event that I go to all year. I'll be speaking there. I'll be around for the whole three days. Uh, You can grab me and pull me aside and we can chat about your business or just talk in general. It's fine. I'd love to to meet you guys, Um, especially those of you that are listening to this podcast. It's just very cool to get to meet you in person. So if you would like to do that, if that's something you're interested in, uh, I will be there in Orlando from the 15th, October 15th through the 17th at Flip Hacking Live. And if you want to know how you can find out more or get tickets, go to juststartrealestate.com forward slash flip hacking live and it'll take you right to that page and you can check it out and get your tickets and i would love to see you there so if you want to do that go check it out otherwise guys get out there and just start make today the best day talk to you next time okay You're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now, but assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you for a limited time. I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book level jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know, it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like, one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over 100 a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12-month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words, just start, as two words now, just start. Start to the number 5544 so text just start to 55444 I will send you a free digital download of my book it's the complete book there's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me and I really really appreciate it guys so I want to do something nice for you I do this every once in a while at the end of shows and if you listen to the very end every once in a while I do a giveaway like this so hopefully you enjoy that go grab a free copy I hope you read it I hope you love it reach out let me know what you think All right, guys talk to you next time